Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and today we are continuing our season theme of favorite sermons preached so far. For the next three weeks, we are going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the thief on the cross. And I'm sure you've heard the following argument used to support baptism not being essential. What about the thief on the cross? You know, he wasn't baptized. And the world that doesn't agree with water baptism being essential is trying to find just about anything to support this cause. And the thief is a legitimate concern. Is it true that the thief never having been mentioned as baptized, being baptized, excuse me, that that is therefore the absolute gospel message truth for all of us today as well? Or are there other things that we're missing that need to be considered in the same right? Today, I want us to mainly focus on just the passage itself. Just the passage itself. So let's go there. Let's talk about Jesus' encounter with this thief. Now, The first thing that we're told is that those crucified beside him also mocked. In Matthew 27, 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled with him or reviled him with the same thing. Mark 15, 32, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Uh, Luke 23, 39 is the main place where we're going to be, which says, then one of the criminals who were hanging, who were hanged, blasphemed him saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Can you imagine this scene? You know, here here are two thieves being crucified just like Jesus. And their main goal is to condemn the Lord. But then we see some remorse and a request. In verse 40, the other answered, rebuked him, saying, "Do, Do you not even fear God? seeing you're under the same condemnation? Look, are we being crucified for an unjust reason, this thief is saying? Think about this for a second here, as I want to get the wording just right. Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? Hey, you're in the same boat, man. Watch verse 41. We're at least being crucified justly. For we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is watching these two thieves have this exchange, and it's incredible. Because we could ask, does the thief have any hope of living? And the obvious answer is no. The point of crucifixion was to murder or kill someone in a brutal way. He has not one chance of surviving in this life. So he naturally, as many of us do when we have a death encounter or we feel like we're on death's door, we become worried about what waits for us next. And he does something that is an admittance of Jesus as Lord. Not not only an admittance, but even a repentance factor from what he had done too. This sounds similar to the same mentality that God had once said to Solomon 
in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal the land. Now, in, in reality, there's an interesting statement that has to be pointed out here. God's people is a key word in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, and Scripture doesn't tell me emphatically that this thief was a Jew, but the principle of the passage could still apply. If the thief would turn to God, humble himself to obey God, he would be spared and forgiven. Now notice Jesus' response here in verse 43. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You're going to die today. I'm not changing that. Our fate is set. We will die. But you'll wake up in paradise What a blessing that has to have been for the thief. And it points, needs to be pointed out, excuse me, that just about, what would that be, four chapters earlier in Luke 19, Jesus had told us what his mission was on this earth, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jesus talked to the thief, he didn't see a thief. He saw a soul. Someone who needed salvation and forgiveness. Yet sadly, many people today question this encounter. And I want to let it sit with you for a moment, just what the text says, because that's going to become important in our last episode about this particular passage. But just stop for a moment and consider what it means for the Son of God to forgive you. What would your life be like without forgiveness? What would be the number one concern that you would have? What would be the fear that would more than likely overtake you? Would you feel dread? Jesus didn't neglect his mission. He had come to seek and save the lost. And is there any doubt that this thief had done something that had put him into the category of being lost? He he was a criminal. A criminal that had done something so horrible and so heinous that he was being given the worst form of punishment that had been concocted up to that point in history. Crucifixion was not given for the, you know, faint at heart. It It was a massive amount of torture. And here's this thief who comes to his senses and realizes, hey, what are we doing? This this guy that's being crucified with us, he's not a thief which tells us he knows at least of Jesus. This guy's not a thief. He doesn't deserve what's happening. And yet, it's still happening. 
Man, what a picture. Next week, we're going to talk about some questions and concerns that people like to bring up when it comes to the thief on the cross. And I want to make this known because I get a little disheartened sometimes when I hear people talk about what we might call a false doctrine. And I I agree, there are doctrines that are false. They are not correct. They are untrue. But sometimes we tend to simply say things like, well, they believe this and that's wrong and here's why. I believe as much as anything that every doctrine should have its day in court. That every doctrine should have its day in court. And when I say that, what I mean by that is innocent till proven guilty, right? That's the societal framework for our justice system. You can't be guilty until we prove it. Sometimes we lose sight of that, and sometimes we immediately deem somebody that is guilty because the evidence seems overwhelming. But have you ever watched a football game, and it's obviously a catch until you watch the replay? And it's, oh, wow, he did not catch that. Isn't it possible that the same is the case with a lot of justice system problems that pop up where maybe we should allow the mud to proverbially dry before we make a snap judgment? Now, once the evidence is overwhelming and it is proving one way or the other, then that's the time to make a different a change. But innocent till proven guilty, I think we would be wise to consider any doctrine as potential truth for two reasons. Number one, it's unfair to do anything but that. To go off of what I've always been told is the only truth that could possibly be right is arrogant. I believe that what I find the scriptures to teach is correct because I think that the evidence supports it, not because I've been told to believe it. But number two, it's unfair for us to assume that we're right just because we were right in the way it was originally presented. You need to be willing to go to the replay booth to study the footage, to study the doctrine and ask, is this true? Next week, we're going to talk about some of the questions and some of the concerns that people have brought up over the years when it comes to this thief on the cross. But until then, don't forget to catch out catch up on all the other shows on the Scatter the Broad Network. And let's not forget most of all to please God now so our eternity can be far better. <laughs>